Hi, and welcome back to On Guard Cigar Salon. I'm Christopher Weston. I'm Graylin Thornton. I'm Ray Spannon. I'm the Cigar Pig. And I'm Stephen Ferris. <laughs> and we're a show where four kinky guys get together and just talk the shit about what's going on today. And we couldn't do this without our producer, Pup Amp, who's behind the camera. Hi, Hi Amp. Amp! There's six of us here. <laughs> anyway, hi. What are we talking about today, Daddy? We are talking about drugs. <laughs> drugs. And I have a question. Who here has ever done drugs? Well, what do you consider a drug? Ooh, Ooh that's a good question. That's that's a, good you absolutely did drugs, but you asked that drug. <laughs> <laughs> I think we asked the guests. So let, let, let's say pot. Have you ever done pot? Yes. Are you stoned right now? <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> Another yes. Have you ever done coke? No. Have you ever raced? Have you ever done coke? Yes. Pepsi. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and we're just gonna lay, leave Stefan out of this for right now because we know the answer to all of these. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, I read it in his book. Yeah. Oh, movie. that's it. <laughs> he told the world. <laughs> uh, so anyway, let's go uh, Molly or ecstasy. You've never done Molly or ecstasy? No, I don't really even know what they are. But it's but it's fine. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. <laughs> okay. Well, we're gonna go. You have. Mm -hmm. I think it was called something different back there. What back was then. it called back then? I think it was um, MDA. MDA. Is that yeah. the same thing? Yeah. Well, we used to ecstasy, call it MDA. Ecstasy is MDMA. Oh, then I so only MDA, MDA back in the day when that was going on was it was actually a separate kind of similar substance. I remember a time in Texas where they handed them out at the door at the bars wow. and they called them happy pills. In the Kool-Aid? Wow. In Texas? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what's wrong with Texas. <laughs> Maybe they need more. <laughs> no, it was the most, I was just coming out, they were talking about like uh, 1987 and uh, Everyone was high on MDMA or ecstasy, um, and I was at this place called the Ice House, and they brought in ice, and everyone was just rubbing ice all over each other. It was the happiest <laughs> I've ever been. It had a lot of cheese in it. It was so good. Hey, how about poppers? Do you think poppers? That's a good question. It's a drug. Is it's a drug? Well, I mean, and like the recovery program is kind of a gray area with their poppers as a drug. You can consider poppers a drug. You can consider nicotine a drug. Mm -hmm. you can consider, they are, yeah. You can consider steroids a drug. So I think it's really what your own interpretation is of it. And I do know many people that are in 12-step programs that absolutely draw a line and do not do poppers or anything enhancing well, in any way. Well, it's an inhalant. It's no different than when people used to sniff glue. It's an inhalant. It's a drug. Did you ever sniff glue? You know, I don't know. I remember. I knew people who tried it. Airplane glue. Remember model airplanes? Oh, yeah. But uh, not like to go out and get high. Just not like Elmer's. No, it's got to be no. the clear <laughs> yeah. airplane. Do you glue. remember in junior high when they did the mimeograph machine? And oh, I love those. those. Oh, so 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 yeah. oh yeah. See. And the reason we're talking about drugs today is because you, Stefan, have just written a book called Blue M Movie. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you've written this book? Sure. Uh, so my name's Stefan. Uh, I did porn as Blue Bailey for most of my younger life up until now. Uh, but I also went to law school and I'm an attorney uh, and I do some writing. And last year I started writing a collection of essays about like substance use, porn, HIV, bunch of gay things and it kind of just like the editing process morphed into a collection of 
scenes, like kind of more of a movie style to kind of mirror my life in porn, and that's where the book came from. And now you've been newly sober for over a year, you just... Yeah, uh, it's 13, 13 months mm. this time. I mean, I've been in and out of recovery in, in different fashions, probably since I was like 19. Mm -hmm. um, but like, with this new go around, it's been 13 months. And one of the things I really liked about your book was how you wrote it, because it it, it kind of is written very much how you talk. <laughs> 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 Knowing you personally. Okay. Uh, can you share a chapter from your book, just so the audience gets a sense yeah. of it? So in this book, we don't have chapters, we have scenes. Mm. And this is scene five. Uh, I am a frat boy. I have joined the Pi Kappa Five fraternity to feel more masculine. It has only made me an alcoholic. Other guys smoke weed or do a bump of coke. I just drink constantly. I'm smoking meth. I am 18, still a freshman, and have not even smoked cannabis or snorted coke. I'm with a random daddy that I met on Manhunt. Uh, we are in his living room, chilling on the couch. The drugs are on the glass coffee table. The house is a mess, stacks of paper and clutter strewn about, but I grew up with a messy father and it doesn't stand out. The daddy finds out that I don't find bottoming pleasurable. I mean, shocking. <laughs> um, that it hurts. And he proceeds to take the pipe in front of my face saying, uh, this will help you to love bottoming. He teaches me how to smoke from the pipe, and I pick it up quickly. The sex is great. Bottoming is great. I leave his house in the late evening. I want more. I ask him when we could play again, but he hesitates. He wants to space out our interactions, so I don't uh, do not do too much and get hugged. Uh, I do not want to play without it ever again. End of scene. Is a short one. So that was your first time? Or no? Yeah! Um... I was in like high school didn't really do drugs. I like had like the dare program and all the drugs were kind of like taught to be the same level of like kind of evil to me. Um, so I only drank really a handful of times until I moved to San Francisco. And then when I moved here and went to SF State, I started like seeing my classmates doing like everything from like Coke, Molly, uh, without like really any consequences. Everyone was just going to school and doing their thing. Um, so when I met some random daddy on like Manhunt that like offered me meth, I kind of just attributed it to the other drugs and like maybe these aren't all as bad and kind of went from there. Mm. And I think this is a good time for us to state we're not condoning drugs. We're not professionals. Uh, we're not even counselors. We are just giving our opinions and our observations of what we see in our community and people around us. Um, and I think meth was a very big problem in our community. I know, I remember in the 90s, I lost a lot of friends to meth. Um, I don't know, is it making a comeback now? Because I'm so out of that world now. Um, I mean, it was always in fashion when I was doing <laughs> <laughs> it. never go away? It never went yeah, away. Yeah, that's what yeah. I so it, Maybe it's just I have the blinders on. I cut everyone out of my life that was on meth because they were impossible to deal with. I feel like when I moved here in 2005, it was having a moment, and then maybe it settled down, and then with the pandemic, kind of, like, had a resurgence. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, been bringing that up, 
So my opinion of drugs has changed over time and who I see doing them just based on my circles. How does everyone else here see drug usage in our community? How has that changed over time for you? I think substances have always been with us. Mm -hmm. We know culturally, historically, substances and, and mind-altering um, strategies have been around for a long time. I think one of the reasons that we are conscious, especially of meth use, is because we see the ramifications within our social circles in a way we might not have seen before. I think it was more hidden once upon a time. I think online has changed a lot because people can connect around mm -hmm. drugs in a way that they weren't able to before. And so I, I know we have a problem. I know that meth in particular is an insidious drug. Yeah. But I also think that the upside of that is that people like Stefan are openly talking about it and therefore people that are struggling have the ability to come forth, talk to people, et cetera. So sometimes it might feel like it's more mm -hmm. because we see it, but I don't actually know the data myself. Again, I'm not a professional, but I don't see it as any higher or lower level than it's been throughout my entire experience being a gay man. Yeah. So. I understand that. My observation has been over time, it seems to, when I'm witnessing what people do out in the party circuit, it seems they do more of the stacking. It seems like they do it longer for days and weekends. I, I Back when we were coming out, I would do a hit of Molly, maybe some pot, and that was it. I'd go home yeah. and fuck for, for the yeah. night. Um, to me now, it seems with these events, that people are doing it three, four days in a row, all night, all day, and they're stacking K, they're stacking uh, GHB, and all sorts of yeah. things. Is am I wrong? I don't think you're wrong, and 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 please jump in. I don't yeah. want to, but I think you hit the right word: events. Yeah. Mm. Yep. I think what has happened is. Rather than going to the disco, I'm aging myself now. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you do a little bit of whatever. You go dance, you go home, you're done. Yeah. And that's it. Now we have these long event weekends. We have week-long cruises. Oh, yeah, we have cruises where you're stuck right. on a boat with the really? drugs. <laughs> so I believe that part of the reason is that people feel like they need, the, that there's more prevalence of drugs is because people feel like they have to power through those weekends because there's FOMO, you know, they're always afraid of missing out. And the drugs help them get through that long event. Whereas before they might've just done a little something or nothing and the event, you know, it was done and yeah. So anyway. You know, in my experience was in the seventies and very early eighties. And I do think it was different. Um, and that's skewed by somebody who was a junkie, so it's probably not accurate at all. You were a junkie. But, what were you a junkie? Well, just doing anything. We took anything, did anything. However, what I noticed in the queer community starting in the mid-80s was the danger associated with it, people taking incredible risks, and the association of people that did, like you say, event, I was like, holy shit, you know, thank God it wasn't like that. We... 
I don't know. It just seemed like it became more dangerous. It seems like people's level of wanting danger went up. Mm. And that wasn't what I experienced in the 70s. It was more fun. You know, everybody always had Valium. So if you were really off on acid, you took some Valium and you came down. So you, you knew another drug. Well you, well, you knew how to take care of each other, I think. Yeah. Like I said, it might be totally inaccurate because I was sorry. Well, you know, it's, so one of the, the passages that Stefan just read really hit me hard because when I was younger, I wasn't allowed to do drugs by, you know, the San Francisco leather daddies leather, because yeah. I, you know, I reported to Alan Selby and those guys and they never would have allowed me to do that. I mean, I couldn't show up messy in front of Alan Selby. I mean, that just wouldn't happen. So I have a little bit of FOMO. Actually, like yeah, you missed out on the I, drugs. I missed out on the drugs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, they didn't let me do the damn drugs. Well, surprise! Check under your seat, Grayley. <laughs> <laughs> and you get a drug, and you, you get, get a drug. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? <laughs> but that's what I wanted to ask. But oh, I, I have a question. Right. We're talking about drugs, but why do you? Why did you take drugs then? Right. What was the? What was the? What was well, the point? Why the did you do? just it? brought up the point of the the safety factor. The, well, um, the was that a motivator for you? Uh, um, the danger. Yes and no. So I think I like the safety element. I think like we as gay people, like we get to define how we like mm -hmm. have sex, how we have relationships, and I think as part of that, like how we include drugs or not. Mm -hmm. um, but I think. Part of that is also as gay people, like we lost generations of mentors, so we didn't really have anyone kind of like guiding us, being like, this is how you go to a circuit event and like do drugs like that. And on top of it, you have the stigma of drugs. So like people do their drugs, but they don't really talk about it. And then they don't really pass their knowledge on to other people about how to do mm -hmm. them safely. So that, that so you were introduced to it from a daddy. Was, yeah. was that like a mentor? No, I mean like, like no. This was like just like older gentlemen off okay. that like defaulted to daddy. Okay. Yeah. But you call him daddy. In your just because he's older. Yeah. A, a daddy. And, oh, no, a it, daddy. it wasn't like a like a BDSM like a daddy okay, relationship. Okay. He just was. Yeah. You know, about the danger thing. The one thing that I thought or felt reading your book was one, I like the way it's choppy because I think it gets the reader almost unsettled because it's an unsettling topic. Yep. So I thought that was brilliant. But secondly, and correct me, I just want to ask you, it seemed to me you really put yourself in dangerous situations over and over, over and over and, and over and over. If you read this book. <laughs> and, you, and you should. Well, it's so, a miracle this boy is sitting Am here. I wrong about that or did it happen haphazardly or do you kind of seek danger out? Um, I think part of that was I fetishized the risk, um, and like kind of that gamble was kind of hot, putting myself into those extreme situations. Um, but I think most of the time period that I was using meth was before kind of like prep and U equals right. U, uh, and I tested positive, so I, I felt that being positive kind of limited me to only like other positive people and most of the positive people that I was hanging out with just also happened to right. be doing math. Um, and I guess in a way until you told you, I kind of felt like damaged. Like I, I considered getting the biohazard tattoo because the biohazard sure. tattoo like signifies. Or like, gave you permission. Like yeah. here it is. So if having you fuck HIV with me, I... gave you like. I, that was very common. I think common. you need to dis 
you know, what is U equals U? Because a lot of people don't know. Uh, so U equals U means undetectable uh, is untransmittable. So mm -hmm. if you're HIV positive and you're taking meds that reduce your viral load, you will not transmit the virus to other people. Um, Which is important to get out there because people miss that all the time. I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was not around when I was like first starting to use drugs. So it's like prep wasn't even around. So it literally like that danger element of even just me having sex with other people was present. So you, you also said just a little bit ago that there is nobody passing down any knowledge. So it, is recreational drug use possible without doing damage? Um, do some people have more of an addictive personality than others? Um, I think we read something somewhere that 15 to 20% have addictive personalities. Yep. I, I personally know I don't have it. I've tried every drug except heroin and window pain acid. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he loves his window pain ass. It was great. I can't believe you don't know. Four years ago. Four years ago. And we're not talking about it for the last time. Please do not go into detail. So better the seat. I I I did meth in ninety-nine for about six months with the boyfriend who was on it. And it was amazing when I was high, but the come down was so bad after six months I was like I can't do this anymore. This is ridiculous. And I just quit cold turkey. So I know I didn't I didn't get addicted to anything. Are some people more susceptible to being addicted? Do you think? Do I think? Um, I think part of it's genetic. I think part of it's environmental. Um, I, from what I understand, like with science, like heroin, physically gets your body addicted to it. Sure. Whereas math, like mentally, like it gives you an addiction to like how your mind receives dopamine. And then when you combine that with sex, it like right. also elevates it. Also, I want to be clear when I talk about the pig doing window pane acid, He's been clean and sober for four well, years. I, well, not anymore. I drink now. Well, he drinks yeah. now. <laughs> but um, but <laughs> up until a year ago, you didn't touch 40 a years. drop of alcohol. Right. And, any drug. None. Actually, I introduced you to pot. Right. But that was <laughs> you're a bad influence. I know. Like Amp says, that's a whole nother topic. But the one thing I wanted to ask you is this when you say that, and I personally, because I'm from the old school and I know myself and what my my crowd was doing, do you think you have an accurate observation of what you were really feeling or thinking while you were using? Um yeah, I think Good. so. Like I I think meth makes you very aware of what's going on. So it's not like alcohol where you're like blacking out. So I like right. the, I remember the feelings and the emotions because I was up for days. Some of it like bleeds into other stuff. So maybe that's where some discrepancies are. Well, um, Cause you know, an interesting thing. And I was telling, I think back in the seventies, we called meth crystal, right? Crystal. And you know, junkies even stayed away from crystal freaks cause they were so out of control and just not pleasant to be around. So I'm shocked that that became <laughs> the drug. Want to hang out with me. I don't know, not you. Honestly, you know, like if you were high, you were like, oh, they're crystal freaks. I don't want them to ruin my high. So, I mean, really. So, how did that become so endemic in our community? Uh, well, I mean, I think if you're hanging out with other people doing crystal, you all have like, all the, the same. same vibe and you're all looking for sex and stuff like that. But I think back to your question like, can people enjoy drugs recreationally, recreationally without, without it being a problem? I think, yeah. yeah. I think, like, generally, yes. Part of me has like this like free spirit mind where it's like everyone should go out and try everything without stigma and without judgment. 
Um, but then I look at like my actual like lived experience with math. Out of like I've been doing math since like eighteen or nineteen. Wow. I have maybe encountered five people out of hundreds where math has not had serious negative yeah. consequences for them. Yeah, and I hear what you're saying. So when I'm out and I see someone rolling or on GHB or even K, I don't really judge them. Meth is the one I judge. Okay, so that answers that about addiction. But you know what we're safely addicted to and it's okay? Our sponsor, Leather Daddy Skincare. So Leather Daddy Skin Company is a plant-based skincare line with a kinky twist. Leather, scotch, vanilla, and 18 erotic spices are bound to get the blood flowing, getting you ready to dominate your day. If you use offer code ONGUARD, you'll get 10% off your order. So thank you very much, Leather Daddy Skin Co. And if you use offer code ONGUARD, you can get 10% off your next purchase. Not mad. Not mad. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was privileged to be able to see the, an advanced copy of the book. And so, I opened the PDF in my email, and I started to read the book, and I did not stop until I finished the book in one sitting. The reason was, number one, it's compelling, it's well-written, but I kept thinking to myself, number one, this is brave. Number two, it's one of the most transparent, honest things I've read. It's very raw. Very raw. Third, and I think really important, it's a cautionary tale. And mm -hmm. that's why this book is so important. Right. I agree. Because a lot of people will read this who might be struggling with meth or any other substance or whatever and read it and go, okay, I'm not alone. Other people have got, you know, gone through this exact same thing I am and they've come out of it okay. So thank you. It's a really important book. I really hope a lot of people read this, not just because you're a friend and you wrote it, but it is that fucking good. Yeah, I agree. I so, um, I, I also want to know what our thoughts are on Kim sex. And, you know, when SSC came out, it said no substances, period, especially when you're doing BDSM scenes. What's SSC? Uh, safe, it's sane, and consensual. Girl, you that. asked me that, too, when we filmed the other video. <laughs> <laughs> Get your acronyms together. You are more rack than SSC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah you're risk-aware, consensual okay. kink. Risk-aware, consensual kink. So now, but my question is, is this realistic or is it hypocritical? Um, because I know many a leather doms who played with me in my younger days were high on pot, mm -hmm. drinking plenty of alcohol. I mean, we went home drunk from the Eagle and did bondage scenes. Um, is this realistic? No, yeah. it's not realistic. And yeah. the reason it's not realistic is that um, there's no nuance to it. It's it's this or that or nothing in right. between. The reality is many people will have a glass or two of wine and go into the bedroom and do their thing. Which we're not even covering it, alcohol. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. we're not. We're just we're doing drugs. drugs. We're drugs, but, but it's, alcohol's a drug. It alters your mind a little bit. Yeah. So um, same thing with pot and, and perhaps other things. And I think there's a judgment call that like, if somebody had five drinks and was gonna throw a single tail whip at me, I'm thinking, no, 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 no. <laughs> you're not gonna do that. So you have to judge the situation. Right. However, I do think as a community to say, you should always err on the side of caution yeah. when you're indulging in whatever, or don't indulge in anything because this can be 
risky behavior. You can be doing something that could hurt someone. What about when, uh, so I've also played with many doms who play with a sub who's high, mm -hmm. um, but they don't imbibe. Um, is that more on an okay spectrum? I think it depends on how you qualify drugs. You know, like Race mentioned, you have a couple of drinks or, you know, you're a little stoned or whatever. Now, I would never, if I'm at a play party where it's basically sex, then being stoned is perfectly fine. But if I have a scene to put together, I have to keep myself together because I have to remember what I'm doing. Yeah. But you're the top. What, right. if, what if you're fisting or fisting bottom who's high on some chemical to allow their hole to get wider? I don't know if I've done that or not. <laughs> because they haven't told you. Because <laughs> now I'm but thinking you, about you, it. You can tell when somebody's high. Can you not tell when somebody's high? Yeah, I mean, not, not on some serious drugs, though. I don't have that experience. Right. I mean, I might think they're just kind of little crazy. What? Just think someone's super high on drugs? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. Because you haven't, you don't. But I think people who have can identify. Okay. Pick. Am I high? Yes. No. <laughs> but you know, but you know I, but I have to say, level of high. I normally only fist people or play that intimately with people that I know. Sure. So I wouldn't go into a big play party and just start fisting someone. Yeah. See, and that's why I think when we talk about events, it's different because the whole reason to be there is to be with strangers and, and just to hang out. I, th I personally, to answer the question, think that recreational drug use is okay if it's okay for the person and they find it okay. It's not disrupting anything. I do, and this is my opinion. I think our communities um, minimizing an acceptance of extreme drug use is probably not great. You know, can, can I tell you something? Because I thought about this last night. One of my first um, recollections of being in a big drug atmosphere was with you. <laughs> we were in Toronto, I think, like 20-something years ago, and we, I know you don't remember this, I remember this, and we were at a party, and everyone was like being very touchy and stuff, and I didn't know why, so I just started doing it too, and later you told me <laughs> everybody was hot. I might have gotten a contact high because I started having a really good time too, but but I didn't know, and it was you who was like, it's because we're all high. And so this might be a good time to also point out, not only is the pigment sober, but Graylin is sober. You do pot. You don't do alcohol. You don't do alcohol. You don't do drugs. You do pot, which is legal here in yeah. California. Yeah. California sober. Yeah, so California sober. I love that term. Yes. That is so, talk yeah. about minimizing. That is the best term of this dumb millennia. <laughs> but when did you ever stop totally for a period of time, even pot? No. Okay. <laughs> I've been smoking pot since I was nine. Because I, I went totally substance free for forty years. Wow. I, I, and what made you do that? What, was you it know, a turning point? Uh, well, it was because of what I did for a living and I couldn't do it. And it, uh, there was a wake-up call. And that's why... And the, it wasn't because you got so dangerous for yourself? Yeah, well, I think it's dangerous. You know, I was a healthcare professional. I think it's dangerous when you're, you know, putting things in people's body and you're so either still high from the night before or on over. So I stopped for that reason. Mm -hmm. But 
um, I, I just want to say this real briefly. I got to a point where my triggers were no longer triggers. And for about 10 years when I didn't even, I was like, oh my God, yeah, that used to be a trigger. That's when I started realizing, you know, this whole recovery thing might be okay. And then about 10 years after that, I said, you know, I, I do feel like I just want to let loose a little and try pot with you, actually. At the share concert. At, at, at the That just changed his life. And, well, no, because it was different that I didn't want to do anything and didn't four months after, never even thought of it. So that whole trigger response that I experienced, I for myself, I judge right now as being gone. If I felt jonesing for something, I would probably try to stop again. See, I'm seeing a pattern here of uh, Christopher giving people pot for the uh, first time. I, 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 I could stop somebody. pot for a minute. You could give me oh, that's somebody. true. So he's the gateway drug. Christopher is the gateway drug. Can I do a quick rewind? Sure. When we were talking about uh, drugs and recognizing drugs, I always forget that my father was a crack addict. Oh, was he? And so oh, I didn't in that. high school and college, I dealt with the paranoia, him changing the locks See? and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, so, so it was a cautionary tale for you. Definitely. I mean, I saw the worst parts of that and eventually it killed him, but it, but was, always, for you? it was always in my house. So I just felt like this is bad. Well, I had to be the parent. How lucky for us, we have a cautionary tale right here. We do. And can, can I ask right. you specifically a question? If, if my impression of the extreme drug use that sometimes does seem to be prevalent in our community is in large part because certain substances make you feel like a super, super person sexually that it, it, it allows you to be a type of sexual person that you aren't otherwise. And the more extreme the activity, the more extreme the drugs. Is that, does that sync with your experience? Yeah. Um, well, I think it's just being like a gay person, like what is extreme? Like our mm. just sex with another man to the rest of society is extreme. Mm. So when, once you kind of like cross that bridge and then start playing with like drugs, I think it's just kind of like exploring what is extreme. And I think when you do math where it charges you up horny and keeps you up for days, you're just kind of just going for more and more extreme. Um, I have a question for y'all. Yeah. So we're talking about like, like recognizing other people's drug use and like having sex and kink. Have you experienced the drug use being the specific kink or fetish where it's like mm -hmm. the point of playing with the other person is they want you to like get them high or like, drugged up and then kind of used and it's like the fetish of sharing the drug and that experience. I, I have not personally experienced that. I have experienced it and I, I typically pull away from that Yeah. because the moment that the, the, the drug itself gets fetishized, it, for me, that's a step too far. Right. And what I did in my professional life, I also had people fetishizing becoming positive and to me, it's very similar. And I saw this personality trait that seemed like somebody was really experiencing like a narcissistic personality disorder paired with their addiction. And I think that's deadly. That's interesting because the whole fetishizing of becoming positive, HIV, yeah. I, I find that arousing. Well, it is. Why? Um, well, you know, it's kind of funny because it, it's dangerous and, mm -hmm. and, but it's only a fetish in my, in my hand because mm -hmm. I'm already positive and the guys I'm playing with are on prep. Mm -hmm. 
But I love that that you're gonna take my pause load. Can I say that on camera? Yeah, just okay. Just, <laughs> you know, you know, know like, it's not that that, unusual. And you take just that, got them on it. And, <laughs> take that pause load. You know? I, so I I had somebody I was extremely close to. We played all the time, and I'm fucking them, and um, they he would consistently use the verbiage come on, daddy, pause me, this and mm -hmm. that. And he was such a good actor. At one point, I stopped and said, you are positive, right? We're okay. And, and so he was so into it as a fantasy, right. even though he was positive and I was positive. So see, I see the fantasy. The reality of it kind of creeps me out. See, right? and that's a turnoff for me. Yeah. That would, oh that would God. be a huge turnoff. <laughs> see, in the same way that, like, cigar smoke is... Exactly. I was just, just, just yeah. going to say it as you pair things. When, when you link and change any kind of behavior to a really strong jonesing need, it becomes embedded. Yeah. And that's why when... For me, what got embedded was the hippie era and being cool. And, you know, there used to be this girl in this dress. They used to skip down Christopher Street singing, Coke smoke, Coke smoke. And she had the best you could buy. And, and, and the whole, but no, but the whole thing used to be, we had to do this, this and so. And, and all of that wouldn't have been the same experience without all that. And so you link and chain all these things to it. And that's why for me, it was hard to unpack. And now there's specific porn that's geared towards kind of sex. There's like there is yeah. Oh, he talks about it in his book. There's Zoom rooms like you can go. Oh to the Zoom yeah. Room well, I mean, there's, so there's like Zoom rooms where you can go and cam with people, and there's specific like rooms that are just like mess specific. Um, Did it evolve to that, or was it created that way? No, it's created, created for that intention. Oh, yeah. And then there's like actual studios out there that are doing meth porn. Yeah. Like, oh, well, that I did not know. That I did because I in this porn that I saw in this vid, and it was only up a few days and then it was gone. They were smoking and doing the whole thing. And I've got to say, they were having fun. It wasn't like the, the dark side of drug use. And I was thinking, see, this is how it used to be. It was safe and it was fun. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, what am I thinking? This is, but it, it becomes that. It so becomes an environment you see. Fantasy. So I also yeah. think that we came out in an era without online. Right. So we had somebody who was there saying, no, no, don't do that. Right. You know, that's the <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> You know what? You're going a little too far with this. Whereas if somebody just sees it online and they're a young, impressionable it person, okay. it seems okay because they don't have that person at their side in real time saying, you know, maybe not. So that, I mean, that's my take. But, okay, but would you feel the same way? I feel like the same kind of viewpoint was applied to like bareback porn before prep, where it was like, oh, barebacks, like people see that and they're just gonna have like risky sexual behavior. We shouldn't have bareback porn. We went through that. You know what? That's a really good point. Yeah. Oh, can I talk about that? You mentioned really it earlier point. about absolution. And in the 70s, I had an experience of um, working with some drug rehab, and it was so strict that if the person even started using or left the program and somebody in the program associated when they were kicked out of the program the absolution was i think detrimental it was horrible nobody knew anything about the uh, what's absolution where it's either you do it or you don't. And if you hang out with somebody who's doing anything, including like smoking pot, then you too are as bad as them and you're not allowed in the program. And you know, that's how it used to be. And it was stupid. I think it was harmful. It's like abstinence. 
Well, and it was, but it was beyond that. It almost was like everybody in that club. I was like, we're all just fucking dry drunks. You know, here we are judging everybody and doing this, and it's stupid. So I, go ahead. I, I just, I have a question for Stefan, and it's all related to this. You know, in, in, there's some scenes in your book that you talk about abusive sex and, right. and being, being high and all of that during this abusive sex. But it's a bit confusing because when you retell it, part of it sounds really hot yeah. and, and sexy. it also sounds like you like it. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and, and right? my brain wants to kind of like hop into that scene and, and be a part of that. But then I know how you're feeling because you're talking about that. So then part of me wants to rescue you. So it's, it's, it's a bit confusing because of the, the way you describe that off. It sounds hot, but we know that it's not quite hot. Personally, as someone who also read it and was very squeamish through the entire read, it's a great read, it's a good book, um, but I didn't find those scenes hot. Because I, I know the scenes you're talking about, those scenes made me uncomfortable. Yeah. But not, not in like a, Sagri, like, I, I shouldn't be reading it. No, 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 I feel like judged. I'm saying that, that you have a different experience of reading that than I did. And we still, we both enjoyed it for what it was. Right. And it was interesting. My experience was the same as yours. And I thought part of it was because your editor and keeping it in those choppy sentences, I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. But I think I really that, did. That, that kind of shows you someone's experience reading the book. But or I just fantasize about sure. those scenes that you described. That's part of my normal kink, yeah. kink fetish, but it's only fetishizing it. But you do it for real. But part of me is like, wow, he's doing that for real. And yeah. if I could just be in that room. <laughs> right, well, can I say one thing? What worried me more than your drug use in it was the titillation of danger. I thought this yeah. is somebody who I <laughs> wonder. You played with danger your You did. Life. Well, yeah. honestly, and I thought this, uh, this person I know who I think the world, I love getting to know him. I thought, oh, my God, forget the drug use. It's the danger titillation and jonesing that worries me. I have a question. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the poor guy. <laughs> Seven. I, uh, no, um, I have a question for everyone actually, because, like for instance, everyone has their own version of sobriety or sober. Um, but case in point, like Graylin, you guys had an event last night, and Stefan, you guys had an event last night in a bar or sex sex club. Like, how are you guys in these spaces and your own version of sober? Like, how do you manage that? Because, like, even I'm I'm in a room and I know some people are sober and I'm like, if I'm smoking pot, I'll, like, step outside. I want to be respectful, but I also don't want to be, like, the one that's like, oh, you're sober. I'm so sorry. Like, I don't want to be annoyingly, like, conscious of people that are sober, you know? Does yeah. that kind of make sense? Like, how do you guys manage oh, to navigate yeah. that? You go. You go? I go? Okay. So I don't feel necessarily triggered being in a bar. Uh, my substance abuse was meth and those triggers don't really exist mm -hmm. in a bar. That being said, I don't like hanging around drunk people for no reason. Oh. I like being there for a show or a purpose. Um, but like what Race was saying about events and the need to like kind of keep up, uh, I do find out that like I can't go to a sex party and just automatically click into the energy or automatically like feel horny like I used to when I would just show up and do like Molly or something like that. Um, so going to like sex parties and events has been a lot slower pace for me and a lot less just sex, sex, sex. Mm -hmm. No, you and I threw a sex party uh, a few months ago, and we had to have a long discussion on whether or not we should sell jello shots. That, to me, 
I don't know. It's a it's a fine line because you don't know if the people at your party are going to get out of control, and so you're trying to control the party, but you want people to have fun too. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm, what do you think about? That's kind of ironic because I'd r much rather be around someone high than drunk. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Drunks are worse than someone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually agree with you. I do too. And can can I just say one thing because Amp said something, a, a word that I think is really important. He said the word respect. One of the things that I think has happened in the gay men's community in particular is a certain amount of respect for sobriety and for people that are in 12-step or any form of recovery that they've decided to do. And events, for example, do sometimes have non-alcoholic options. They do have spaces where they say, you know, please don't do any substances in this space. Or, what, or whatever. I just think that we now have a far more respectful environment. Yeah. I'm not saying we don't have problems, but I do think we at least are, have it out in the open and it's respectful and we understand that people have to be honored for whatever, wherever they're at with substances and never push anything on anyone. Well, you, you raise a good point because most of our socialization now, it has just been acceptable for alcohol and drugs to be part of what we're doing. And our tasty hole boy uh, just moved here to San Francisco. And when he got here, he pulled me aside and asked me, everyone is high and I don't feel like I fit in. How did you feel about that? Oh, for sure. Well, I think that a lot of it, like you were saying, it's not only accepted, I think it's expected, right? Um, and there's a lot of social media influence. I think when you see pictures of other boys that are out at parties or out, you know, there's this event that happened and I went till 6 a.m. and we all had such a good time. And then there's people like me that get out there and it's, you know, I look, I'm looking at my watch 2 a.m. and I'm, I'm capped. I'm like, all right, I'm going to get, go home, get my decaf coffee, snuggle the book. Like that is not the party vibe that I think most people are going for. So it does make me feel kind of like a bad gay sometimes. Yeah, eventually, like you have to do drugs to fit in. See, and that's where I get where we've desensitized it as a community and minimalized it. And I, I think the use of it is okay. I think recreational use is okay. I think the minimizing it is not. I think that the being, <clears throat> oh Jesus, I'm dying. <laughs> I, I would much rather having conversations about it where people get a little uncomfy than seeing like dare programs or scruff McGruff, Chicago, oh. Illinois, 60652 commercials like that. Doesn't help. I agree with you. I, I think those commercials like shame you or something. I just I don't like them. Do you they remember this? Your, this is your brain on drugs. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> I like, this I is like your brain. This well, is drugs. No, we used to watch them high as hell. This is your brain on drugs. Get an egg. Oh, brain on drugs. But we know shaming doesn't work. It doesn't. No. Shaming is the worst thing you can do to anybody. And so. I think it's really important not to shame because the moment you shame somebody, they pull back. I agree. And let's say they do need help. And they that's need what you said earlier. Yeah. Then they, they don't have anyone to talk to. Let me I ask think, a question. Step. Oh, go ahead. Honestly, I think one of the main reasons for like writing the book, like I, I don't respond well to people being like, this is how you do drugs. This is how you don't do drugs. Like you should do what I do. I like to just explain what I do and show that it works, show that you can go to the circuit parties and not have to do all the drugs and still take as many loads as you want. Um, but to communicate it in a way that's like, here's my experience, here's how I do it, and if you want to mirror parts of it, you can mirror it, but doing it in a way that's not like, you shouldn't be doing drugs, or you shouldn't be like... I agree. So when you, so like my stance, or that I stated earlier, is I just didn't deal with anyone on that. Um, when you were deep in your meth addiction, I'm sure other people did that to you. Yep. What, what 
would have been better? What, what would have helped you? What Was there anything yeah. you could do? Um, so I also did that. Before, like, when I first stopped doing math, I didn't want to go to meetings because I was in my 20s, and I'm like, this is stupid. I don't need to be in, like, 12-step meetings in my 20s. Um, so I just, like, tried to figure it out on my own, and part of figuring out on my own was just being really mean and touchy to other people that use math. Like, people would hit me up online, mm. and I would be like, no, I don't want to party with you, and I'd capitalize all the T's back to them, and I'd be, like, kind of a bitch about it to, like, create a separation there. Um, and that's just not, like, a kind or compassionate way to, to deal with people, like, that are struggling with this. Um, I... What would have been a good way? I know, well, you, you mentioned earlier, you asked off camera, like, how many friends do I know that are, like, mm -hmm. actively using and do I hang out with them? Um, I... I don't have too many friends that are actively using, and it's not because I'm judging them, or I, I think that they're horrible people, it's... Um, it's because they're usually attractive. And to me, it's it's a risk for me that like the more I hang out with someone that's using, the more that like, it's it's still sexy to me, the, the chem sex, yeah. that I'll want to do it with them. So I personally need to have like separation and not hang out with those people just because I don't trust myself to be around those people. See, and that's why I asked you the question because I was the same way. And in my era, it was more the cool vibe of hippie. And yet what I found was what I experienced there was great. But when I got out of that community, it was great too. And you don't realize it's not just mind altering, it's perception altering. And if you let yourself go to the new experience and percept it, you find out it's not that either. So that, that's the only reason why I asked you the question. It's to deal with other people, like, I think you can set boundaries in a way that's not judgmental. Be like, I'm not hanging out with you because you're doing meth all the time and you're cracked out. It's like, I don't want to hang out with you because you show up late all the time. You show up and, and we can't have a connection or you don't show up at all. It's the behavior. He just said exactly what right. I was about to say. You can be compassionate and kind, but you can set boundaries. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that we can, I think that's what the book teaches. You can set boundaries. Well, that's why I love the book. I, the danger part worries me. I got to tell you that. I could say that over and over. It really does. Yeah, I'm a therapy for that, I promise. I hope so, because that worries me. But you know what I found? was that the sex I had in just the environment or, or fun I had when I was high, once I started doing it sober, it, or, or sober or clean or whatever you call it, not doing drugs, you, you know, you're like, oh my God, I didn't realize this was okay. I didn't realize that I was going to have fun. I, I really didn't. I thought fun was not happening unless I was high. Mm -hmm. The Did one of the things that Samson said earlier was, you know, you look at pictures of people and they look like they're having fun and they're all high and all of that. Do you have to know what to look for? Like, what do you mean? Like, now, now that I've been told this, I can look at pictures and go, oh yeah, they are all high on this <laughs> ship, all wearing white and glistening. And their eyes are about this yeah. big. <laughs> now I know. But before, I would just look at that and go, oh, those are just you know, the hot guys on a ship. See, yeah. So, I mean, do you have to know how to spot those people? Um, I think for me, when I go to like circuit parties and events, I just assume that everyone's there on some sort of substance. And I guess I try to look for the people that are like sober or not doing it. And I think those people stay out to me. Like I, I like seeing people that like still go out and like be slutty and go out yep. to all the events and still do things. And I think when you're visible about that, it shows to other people that you can go, you don't have to have like the kind of drug out experience at the circuit party. You can go and kind of define it how you want to. 
one of the things that I think, this goes back to the respect that Amp was talking about. And I'm going to cite one particular event that's done a very nice thing. International Mr. Leather. When you go there, you can get a badge that actually indicates that you're sober. Wow. So if you're in a crowd and you are feeling like you need to be with somebody else, you can spot that person and walk right over and say, hi, I need to talk to you right now because I'm... Yeah. So I think this is what all events could do, is that we need to respect the people that are either sober yeah. or choose to be sober at that event and let that be okay. And to International Mr. Lev's credit, they did that. And I think more events should do the same. I agree. Do people who are actively using um, or just use sometimes, do they ostracize people who are not? Because I would feel I've like seen the no one's going to talk to me if I have this badge on. Oh, that's no, interesting. I mean, do yeah. people pull away? From, did you find people pulling away from you who did who were using? Um, yeah. I mean, when I was using, I when I was using meth specifically, I wouldn't really want to play with anyone that wasn't using meth because I just would personally feel uncomfortable that we're yeah. not just like in the same headspace. But in terms of hanging out, um, no, I think I, I push myself sometimes to go to events and hang out. And I think people, especially when they're like doing Molly or whatever, are so doing their own thing that they're not really worried about what you're doing. So if you're only there for 10 minutes versus like five hours, it doesn't really like register to them. Now, you know, what's interesting for me is when I was using, we would get together and go, you know, they're straight. Ugh. And we'd steer away from them and not even go near them. But straight meaning... Well, Straight meaning they weren't high. They weren't right. right. It wasn't. Yeah, you want to know something? Straight or gay, drugs united us. And they honestly, that's how it was, at least for my crowd in the 70s. And if somebody wasn't using, somebody would just listen. Don't put that on a show. Don't put that on a show. But it's interesting that you bring up the straight thing because this isn't just a gay thing. No, not at all. There's Coachella, there's Burning Man, there's huge straight festivals where yeah. they, they prefer gaily altered <laughs> see, <laughs> see it's a human thing it's, it's, a human it's, thing. it's, it's all of us yeah my and dad was well one thing <laughs> well listen one thing back then we were outlaws we were a mental illness we were outlaws and there was a whole part of being a, in that outlaw community that was a badge it was like you know fuck the man you know, it was, you know, it was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, in the same way, like, the meth use, I think, kind of like plays yeah. also into I like, love it. You're doing outlaw sex, you're like smoking meth, you're doing all these transgressive things against society that's like. Exactly. Weird. Oh, the still turn on for me as a tatted up convict. Oh my God. You're just out, let's go, you know? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to discuss that. That is, that is. I, uh, I want another tangent. I want to discuss safety next on drugs because <laughs> now we, we're having an issue with fentanyl and other oh. things that can cause uh, instant instant death, death. Uh, how do we feel about testing drugs is that ethical there was an organization here in San Francisco I believe they were locally based and they would actually test drugs on site at parties for you Good. If because, and I think that that's a very very good thing we need to make sure that we don't create a culture where we're so judgmental that somebody doesn't feel like they can test their drugs or that they can't ask in questions, they can't talk about safety around drugs. Right. Because our friends will die if we, if we do that. 
Right. That's the problem. Well, and they did, and that's what started. We used to take anything off the street. I mean, I, we were seeking out the girls skipping down Christopher Street because she had the best coat. However, look at the people who died. Janis Joplin, yep. Jimi Hendrix, from just taking shit off the street and didn't know the strength of it or what it was. It was dangerous. And he's talking about fentanyl, which is really the big, dangerous. big issue right now. It's very, very deadly. It's very dangerous. And there are strips that people can buy online where they can test their substances for fentanyl. Not so that we're saying you should have drugs or no, this is an option to be safe. But if it's a choice between somebody that I know dying or not, I'm going to go with and err on the side of them not dying. So, and we also have an issue though with GHB, with people dropping yeah. on the dance floor, passing out, you were telling me a story about a club here in San Francisco who had had a big issue with this. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the club promoter made it known that calling the police on an ambulance was the very last thing you did because they didn't want to be cited or held responsible for someone being, um, I don't know, what would you call it? Just out at out, their party. Out at their party. But then the... But if you wait too long, then that person dies. So it's like, do you want to be in trouble because that person died or because that person yeah. is passed out at your party? Yeah, but so this personally happened to me. I had some friends from Australia. We went to a club. I did Molly. They did GHB. And I'm like high on Molly. And uh, I see this boyfriend dragging his partner out of the club all panicked and stuff and we called an ambulance and he had dropped on GHB. I had a ride in the front of the ambulance and the ambulance driver gave me a huge lecture. I'm like, I'm not the one passed out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they put him on IVs and everything and he woke up fresh as a daisy. Wow. You know, and they were like, what's going on? And how is everybody? And I'm like, I'm going to murder you. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to say there's a, I won't say the specific party, but there was a party here in San Francisco that rallied a bunch of volunteers to walk around the dance floor during the party and be, and they were trained to be aware of who looks like they might go out, they might go down, they yeah. might have too much. And they were charged with taking that person, walking up and kindly saying, you know, could you use some water? Yeah. Come sit down. Do you want to pay? So I... We have to face reality that this is what goes on at parties, but let's do it compassionately and safely and take care of each other. Right. Well, at all different levels. Remember in the baths when they started putting up signs when Viagra came out that if you are out because of Viagra and poppers, you are permanently barred. Nobody's so, did that. They have. Well, they did it at the Steamworks. Well, they did it at, at every baths because so many people were going out and people didn't know if it was drugs or Viagra. So they didn't say anything because they didn't want to get barred. So I'll add, I think one of the venues that is doing a great job is Oasis. Mm -hmm. I love going to the drag shows every Saturday night. Uh, Coachina Rude for like five minutes. We just met her. Yeah. I love She's her. Amazing. Love her. Love her. Love her. <laughs> but she gives a, a Narcan speech and they hand out Narcan Excellent. to the audience. Mm -hmm. They There's what, a little what, Narcan. Nar it, uh, it's the antidote to fentanyl. Right. Well, well to, to any opiate. To any opiate, if you take Narcan, you're down. But Katrina just won, she just won an award for yeah. that work. And I think it's, it's pretty amazing. Wonderful. Once again, you have drag queens stepping up to to take care and do activism. That, and now but, it's a city program, because initially they were just giving money to do it at Oasis, and now it's spreading to a bunch of nightclubs. And if you go to the bathrooms at Oasis, 
Um, there's a big bowl that used to be condoms, and now it's all testing strips. For That's great. Anyone that can just pick one up. Really and amazing. every staffer at every club, in my opinion, should have on hand and Narcan. be trained in the use of Narcan. Well, not only that. That is the margins of any community always protect the whole community. Drag queens coming forward at first because we, in our little, where we are on the margins, see the truth. And all this bullshit that the straight people live, not just straight gay, but straight from drugs, is a fantasy. The real world is that. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right about the drag queens or about leather guys. The people on the margins protect the whole. That's my view. Mm -hmm. We need to take care of each other. We do. And that's why I'm so against these absolutist kind of, if you do any drugs at all, you are there. It's bullshit. And, and part of taking care of each other is having these conversations. Right. And being out and open about it, and be willing to talk to someone else, not be quite so judgmental, and be willing to be compassionate, set boundaries, because that's how we, that's what community is. Right. And so, substances will always be there forever, and we need to take care of each other around them. Well, that's why I'm so proud of this book. I think it's, yep. it's exposing yourself, which I think is very hard, and it's so truthful and raw that you get a real sense of, if I really feel pressure to do drugs, is this really what I want to do? You know, I think it gives people options. And if, and if anybody watching this has trouble with substances, please fucking read this book. This is a real account of somebody who's been through crap and is being honest about it and telling you their journey. And maybe from this journey, you'll say, oh, you know what? Maybe I need some help. Right. Maybe I need to not do these substances. Maybe I need to talk to someone. Maybe I need to go to a harm reduction program. Whatever it might be, I think it's really important. I thank you for writing the book. You know, and, and I love all the honesty in the book, but anyone who knows you, I've never known you to not be honest about these things. So in reading the book, it sounds like you're just having a conversation, <laughs> like we're having lunch, you know? But, I mean, possibly the shocking... Um, there's this part, part of the book where you talk about um, someone, someone losing their life and, and, and how you handled that. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because we just we, we talked a little bit about um, what to do when this, these things happen. So how did that affect you? Mm. Oh, um, so yeah, that uh, I was in a BDSM scene where we were like playing with chemicals and like airplay and the guy put a bag over his head and died and I was super high and didn't really like I assumed that he was GM like he, he I put him on his side thinking like oh if he throws up he's gonna throw up on his side he won't choke on it I didn't realize that he was like already dead um and yeah no I mean I and that's the danger of you both being high. Right. Yeah. Because yes. you didn't even realize the person was dead. That's the danger of us both being high. Um, I was the seven in that situation. So, like, anything that could have happened to him could have also happened to me. I think that's something that, in therapy, I didn't even, like, learn until, like, a year after. He was, you realize, like, you could have been the dead person. Right. Exactly. That thought never crossed my mind. It was just like, oh, this happened to him. Um, and, you know, if I probably, if I wasn't high, maybe... I could have recognized it earlier and things would have been different, but honestly, don't know. But if you weren't high, would you have been playing with him? No. Um, I don't, that's debatable. I don't know. Okay. And let me just say one thing, too, since we're trying to educate people. Breath control? No. Yeah. Uh, 
is one of the most dangerous things that anybody in BDSM and kink can do. Most, I, I've only known a handful of people throughout my 40 plus years in the scene that have died in any kind of a situation. Every single one involved breath control. Yeah. Please be cautious. Please don't be cavalier about any kind of breath control play because regard substances or not, it's one of the more dangerous things that we can do. And never do it by yourself. And, and never do it by yourself. Good point, because people do that. But you know, when reading the book, you are an attorney. I know you enough that you are very smart and you have life experience that took you through this journey that you could look back at it this way, and I don't think a lot of people do. And that's why I think when they read the book or if they just talk with somebody, they have to take it at face value that, remember, this is somebody with a lot of life experience, and this is how he's related what happened. Think if you're 21 and you're doing this shit, you're in danger. And yep. you're still young. I mean, you're still really young. Yeah. So you're like, <laughs> read this back. So, wow. oh my that was God, my first response. When Ab told me he was writing his memoirs, I'm like, he's in his 30s. <laughs> Wow. Then I read the book, and I was like, holy but shit. I, you know what? I think most of my success in my professional life came from lessons I learned when I was using. I think the big lesson from that, with this, in particular the death scene, is that you could be high, thinking you're doing everything right, being like, I got yeah. my drug use under control, I'm being fine, but then be put in a situation where something else happens to someone that you don't have control over, and then you're stuck in a situation yeah. of like, hi, not knowing how to deal with it, when you think that you were doing everything. Like, I have me under control. I'm taking care of myself. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm curious. If, if somebody's watching this, and they have suspicions that maybe they have a problem, what would you say to them? If you were talking one-on-one -on -one to them, what would you say? Um, I guess I would first try to figure out like what what is a problem for you? Because I think yeah. what is a problem for each person is very different. And I think like addiction is a like a self-diagnosis. So like what what about your experience is making you think that it's problematic? Yeah. And then I guess the next step would be like maybe maybe try setting some ground rules to make it not problematic for you and see if you can actually stick to those ground rules. And if you can, then maybe it's not problematic. Maybe you figured out your solution to it. But I think if you're continually um, changing the equation and the equation's not working for you, uh, then it's maybe better to ask someone for help and that could be harm reduction, it could be a 12-step program, it could just be like looking to someone else that does drugs in the way that you want to do them and getting their advice and kind of trying to mirror their experience. You know, that's brilliant. Because I was functioning, and when I went to graduate school and realized I wasn't, it was the yep. self-experience of, holy fuck, I can't, why can't I read this? Why can't I do this? I know right. one of my favorite lines in the book. Oh, I love lines. One of my favorite passages. I love passages. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> uh, there's... You say, I'm not stupid. And uh, that hit me because I know that I can be really judgmental. And you know, if someone I think is, is doing meth or something, it's easy to say, well, they're stupid. Yeah. But you're not stupid. No. So, I mean, how do, you, how, do you, how do you reconcile that? Like, I should be smart enough to know not to do this, but here I am doing it. Yeah, I am. 
So my experience, I get a lot of benefit from 12-step. There's a lot of things I don't like. I don't like the powerless message. I don't like the God language. Right. Um, I like the community that comes from it. But what I still find in the community is that oftentimes it's talked about as like a black or white. You're either sober or you're not. They don't talk about like poppers and all the like in-between substances. Um, and they also, but they also don't focus on why Matthews is sexy and, and attractive, why Grayland reads it and is like, oh, this is kind of like a hot scene. Um, I think for me, like, it's still, I'm sorry, I lost, what was the question? <laughs> you answered it. I was not, yeah, you did. You're smart. You're smart. Get your numbers shit. Well, then, yes, I, I, I would, I, I, I identify as smart, but I think like I these things are like sexy and stuff. And sometimes like when things are sexy, like you kind of make justifications or you think you can handle something, and you just like that perspective. Like it's um it's like the the frog in the boiling plate. Like you don't notice the boiling water as it gradually gets hot until it's the water. Cold. Sorry, what drug is that? <laughs> boiling water. Uh, you know where you lick a toad? No, no. <laughs> I've heard of that Pokemon. <laughs> Let me also say, as somebody who's had a man colleague for 10 years, who's 30 plus years sober, that the 12-step program absolutely is for some people. Right. And you can get out of the 12-step program what you want to get out of it. And I think you've done that. I mean, you, you, you've said, this is good for me, this is bad for me. But don't necessarily cast aside the option of 12-step just because you don't agree with 100% of everything that the 12-step program right. typically it's, does. Well, it can be very, very helpful for many people, and I, I just think it's really important to say that. I agree, but I think what I heard you saying is a similar experience where you used it until it wasn't needed anymore because I think of your intellect or whatever your life experience is, and I think it is good for people, and when it isn't working, walk away from it, like anything else. It's not process, it's end result. It's right. the end result that I have taken care of myself. How you get there is how you get right. there. You mentioned you mentioned a little bit about um, twelve step programs and and the religious aspect of it and you know I I personally know someone who would shut down as soon as you did the serenity prayer because all he heard was God. How do you find? How do you filter all that out? How do you find a community where that isn't the case? Yeah, I think it took a long time to figure that out. Um, like I said, like when I was in my twenties and I went to a, a twelve step meeting, it was not for me. The God mm -hmm. thing wasn't for me, and it was automatically someone telling you, like, "This is what you need to do to be sober. You have to make a decision right now. All drugs or no drugs." And to me, that that's a very hard decision to make when you're even questioning if you have a problem. Um, I think it just took a lot of trial and error and kind of learning. Like like with kink, there are no like rules, you kind of make up the rules that you want for whatever you want to get out of it. So the same thing with recovery, you um, you can take bits and pieces of different programs and piece them together to make what works for you. And to, I can see for a lot of people that just showing up to a meeting is an initial draw because it was for me, but I would recommend staying around and trying to find people that mirror what you want. I am, I've had a sponsor, my current sponsor is totally fine with me doing poppers. I've had other sponsors that are like, I won't work with you because you're doing poppers and that's a mind altering substance. Hmm. Um, and it's kind of knowing that you could reject those sponsors and that that's not, that's one way of doing recovery and you could find someone else. I've had other sponsors that are like, hey, 
like cannabis and psychedelics have medical purposes, like that could be an option for you. Whereas some people that's a mind altered substance that's immediately off the table. So I think it's knowing that just like, you don't have to accept the first kind of dogma that you approach. Uh, if you stay around long enough, you'll see how other people are doing it and you'll see that there's other ways to do recovery and it's not like a binary, it's a spectrum. It's customizable in that it's way. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. That's really good. It really, is. Yeah. Okay. That's really good. Not to, not, not to stop the conversation, but I do have one last question kind of to instill thoughts because we live online and online everyone has an opinion. And I love that about it. <laughs> but um, I can already see the comments uh, under the video being like, I can't believe you're having this conversation. It's not appropriate. You're in, you're enabling and being dangerous, and this conversation shouldn't be. Like, what do you say to that? Like, is that the tone they're using? Well, that's how I hear it. When I see it. The typing. I can already see the typing. That's how I read it. <laughs> how do you how do you talk about how do you end this conversation with being like this this is important to talk about and here's why, without sounding like you're enabling people to go do drugs. You know, hiding anything is stupid. It doesn't help anyone to, right. to keep it in the closet, to keep it hidden, to keep it quiet. The more you talk about it, the more someone feels like they can come forward and say, oh, I want to talk about this too, and maybe they, maybe they should be able to talk about it because they, ha they have a problem, or they have a friend with a problem, or a partner with a problem. Hiding it never works. And if you just walk into any place we gather, you see it. It's happening. We can't just ignore it and pretend right. it's not happening and judge everyone. Are we judging all of our friends for this? Um, no, so, just Stefan. Just Stefan. We love judges. Thank you for being our We judge who we love. Right. You know, for me, I don't regret one bit of it. I had learnings from it at the time. I don't suggest anybody do it for that reason, but the fact I did, I wouldn't have wanted to be different. You know, there's a, a, another point you make in the book where you say I'm okay I think that that really that resonated with me because it, it humanized it it yeah. made me come back to the Stefan that we know and we love and just to hear you say you're okay I think would give hope to other people to say I can be okay yeah I have a, one final question right. so was part of writing this book partly therapy for you as you're going through your sobriety and do you ever fear that now that you put it out there if you relapse um yeah it absolutely was a form of therapy i mean like i would stay up for days and life would move very fast like even with the conversation today you're like well what about mr friendly what about this and it's stuff that just if it's not immediately in front of me, I don't think about it and I forget about it. So having to like sit down and like examine like why do I find chemsex sexy? Like why was I so drawn to this? It, it really helped to like sit and be in the moment and relive some of these experiences and write them out and then hopefully have that be a like someone else can see that story in themselves if they're having similar experiences. And then the relapse thing, yeah, it, it scares me a lot. Um, I remember my first sponsor like 10 years ago was like, you should start posting when you get like your, your like one month ship and two months ship. Uh, and I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for that because it does kind of create an added level of accountability and it does make it seem like a bigger deal if you did slip up. Um, so yeah, it's, it's extremely terrifying. Uh, it would really suck to relapse, but I, again, I think relapse is like 
part of a lot of people's journey and it's just as it was important for me to like get out my past experiences i think it would be just as important to show like shit like this happens and all you have to do is just kind of get right back at it and continue on it doesn't have to be like the defining moment for you well i'm glad you wrote this book and thank you for being so candid and honest and funny and smart <laughs> and swole. It's okay. And I'm actually proud of us all for the pig was really worried that we were going to be boiling the ocean with this topic. So we we didn't yeah. stray too far. We did did okay. Well, his experience is vast. So, is there anything that you wish you had put in the book? And where can people buy this book? Sure. Um, I think when I read back the book. There's a lot, it focuses a lot on the drug use, so I guess if I had to like include anything else in the book, it may have been more of the kind of wins in life that happened uh, in response to the drug use, like Mr. Friendly, right. being at IML, different things like that, that just... Kind of, the, the more of the highs. Yeah, more of the highs. <laughs> less less <laughs> highs, <laughs> and more highs. <laughs> yeah. And where can people get the book? Yeah, um, so people can order the book at unboundeditionpress.com or, or you can call your local bookstore and have them order it for you. You don't have to pay the shipping fee and you support local business. And we'll put links down below to where you can buy the book as well as resources that you can go to if you're struggling. Um, if you have opinions about this, please leave them in the comment below. We will read them in the same tone that Amp just read them. <laughs> <in>. <laughs> but where can I buy the book? No, but everyone's experiences oh. are going to be different, and everyone's experience with other people is different. Uh, so we know this hits close to home for a lot of people. Um, if you want to be notified of our next episode, please ring that bell below and please subscribe to this channel and please share it. We are almost one year in wow. doing Woo! this. This is our eleventh episode in eleven months. So wow, that's crazy! Thank you guys. Also, we do have merch at thesaferchop.com. If you like any of these T-shirts we're wearing, except our sponsor, Mr. S and Wolf over here. <laughs> oh my God! Stepping so hot. Where can I follow him? <laughs> Stephen, where can people find you? Uh, well, I've actually learned from you, and all of my handles are the same uh -huh. now. So it's absolutely SF on Instagram and Twitter. And you actually have your own YouTube show too. I do. About uh, so it's called Reading Is Fundamental. It's me and my direct free friend Dextra. Fundamental. Hi, I'm Blue Bailey. And I'm Dexter DeNovo. And welcome to the Reading is Fundamental podcast. And we talk about different topics in entertainment law through current news stories that are out. Oh, I love that. That's great. That's yeah, amazing. and you poached our editor to do it. Well done. That's Well, thank you for joining us um, for this lively debate and conversation. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>